run free to burn off some energy before they sit down for Sunday school. It's probably hard to focus like you might have wanted to. So uh, the, the YouTube, you can actually go to the YouTube video on the piece of paper in front of you. You can check that out on your own and see uh, more of their, more of their uh, mission. It's pretty interesting stuff that they're able to support. They raise just a tremendous amount of money and support some interesting things. Um, most, most near and dear to us would probably be the, I mean, there's lots, but number five, the disaster response team down in Tyler, Texas. Actually, I actually have some family down in Tyler, but um, that's the kind of, that's the, the disaster response initiative that we were a part of back in like 2018, pre-COVID, we were able to go down and help, uh, help the hurricane victims recover. So uh, if you're able to, if, you're, if you'd like to consider being a part of the LWML or want to learn more, uh, talk to Ina and there's, no, I'm sure there's a few other people. If you're in the LWML, if one of our LWML people in here, yeah, Becky McBroom, um, you find out more from, from them. Uh, a couple other announcements. I mentioned the, the picture directory, and I want to, again, thank you all for coming to Oktoberfest, if you're able to, yesterday. Uh, and thanks again to our, our great team who put that together. Uh, Beth, Keith Lures, David Brouch, Steve Lindemeyer, and then all, the, all you guys who brought stuff and the, the, all the volunteers it, it takes to, to make it happen. So I appreciate everybody chipping in, and it, it, made, a, it made for, a, hopefully, a pretty relaxing afternoon and tremendous weather so we're thankful for that uh, let's see recordings of these bible studies are available on the website so if you're interested in um, finding the heresy that i that i was teaching in bible study um, or uh, or in sermons just a reminder to you that you can go to the, the church's website under i think it's resources and there's audio video so you can find um, it's basically a podcast link uh, but also the audio is all on there as well. So you can listen to sermons and Bible studies there. Theology on Tap, we're starting chapter four on October 18. We'll be jumping into secularism or naturalism, naturalism. So in the absence of, <clears throat> so it, with deism in the previous chapter where God had removed himself, deism is God creates and, then he, and he just is uninvolved with creation. Um, in, that, in that kind of absence of God, people start to think, well, I don't even need a God for me to live my life. And so I come up with some way to live my life and come up with morals and, and some sort of uh, um, ordering of my life in some other way, typically in some naturalistic way. So that's secularism we'll be, we'll be talking about in Theology on Tap on Wednesday, October 18. So you can, if you're still needing a book, we ordered a bunch more. So there's a bunch of the, the Theology on Tap books available in the church office. And um, a couple more. We need coffee makers for uh, next Sunday. So a week from today, um, as you kind of come in here and you want to pay attention and fight back the devil and his desire to make you sleep during me talking, <laughs> caffeine is a powerful ally along with the angels. Um, so if you'd like to be a part of keeping the devil at bay, and providing coffee or making coffee next week. Uh, you can sign up, there's a sign-up sheet over by the coffee. I uh, just need somebody to help set that up. And last, Careers for Christ weekend at Concordia Chicago is uh, November, uh, let's see, uh, November 3rd through 5th. And this is for high school students. We'll, we'll get, get this in the week at a glance over the next few weeks. So basically taking high school students 
and giving them an awareness of different ways to serve in the church, whether it's young men thinking about being pastors, uh, girls thinking about being a deaconess, people decide, thinking about being a church worker in some way, whether it be a teacher, um, a youth pastor, or a youth, uh, youth leader, a director of Christian education, and so forth. Uh, so this is a program attempting to kind of just teach, teach the kids about the opportunities that they might not be currently aware of. So if you have a child in high school, I encourage you to consider sending them to, um, to Concordia on uh, November 3rd through 5th. And there's, yeah, you have to register for it and stuff. It's all in the week at a glance. You can, you can check that out. Um, now let's get into our, our study. And Luke 22 is where we, is where we are going to be today. Um, there were, there were, you, walk, you had to walk past a table of yummy, delightful goodies on your left and on your right, a bunch of cool LWML stuff, and you probably missed a handout. So if you need a handout, there in the back, uh, being waved around there. In fact, if you raise your hand, I'm sure it could be delivered to you if, you if you're in need of a handout. No one. Oh, you're all pulled off. Very good. Um, qu- a couple of quick words about angels, um, St. Michael and angels. So the devil actually comes up in today's reading, but I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about angels because as I mentioned in the sermon this morning, there's a lot of wrong teachings, like unbiblical, like directly wrong teachings about, the, about angels in the world today. Um, and the Bible gives us certain pictures that are helpful, but not like, as I've, as I've used this analogy recently, the Bible isn't attending, is not intending to be Google for God's stuff. That is, if you look, if you have a question about something about God or something about the angels, and you, can, you, you look at the Bible and you're, if you go there like demanding it to answer your question, you're often going to be disappointed because the Bible is not attempting to be Google for every question you might have. Instead, it's trying to drive you to one clear point that you are a sinner and what that cause of sin is and how it continues to plague you, but then also what the solution to your sin is. So to get us to Jesus, and ultimately that's the main goal. So to show us our great need and to show us the solution to our great need in in Jesus. That's the Bible's point. So as the Lord is giving us those, those pictures, we have these other things that come up along the way, like angels. And, uh, they, it's very difficult for us to, to comprehend. Like for me, it's always the challenge is God is, I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong. Would you agree that God is powerful? Would you agree that he is all powerful? So w- w- at least in my comprehension of God or my, as I think about God, I think if God wants to accomplish something, like let's say putting food in my belly, and let's pretend you're one of the disciples along with me at the feeding of the 5,000. They, they were hungry. And Jesus could have solved the hunger problem by just having them feel full, like, like simultaneously having 5,000 people plus women and children just experience the f- sensation of fullness. Uh, or he could have actually filled their bellies with food without actually putting it through their mouths, right? I mean, don't you think... He could have done that? I imagine he could have. But he doesn't typically work that way. Just as he often doesn't bring healing miraculously. Jesus himself often does. Um, where he'll just speak the word and the servant will be healed. Or he'll touch the person and, and they'll be healed. But very often, like in our context, he's working through 
doctors and nurses, Tylenol. <laughs> He's working through these means. Same with the feeding of the 5,000. He didn't fill up their bellies magically, but he used the bread and fish that were there. He broke them and gave them to the disciples to then pass out to everyone else. I mean, Jesus could have done it himself. It would have taken them longer. So maybe it was just a more efficient. They're hungry. Use the 12 people he got. To spread. It could have just been Jesus. But he, he worked through the, mean, the physical, tangible means of fish and bread and the physical, tangible means of the disciples. Well, in the, in the same way, it seems that in the spiritual realm, he chooses to operate the same manner. So he could keep the demons at bay with his, with his divine finger, his power, but yet he, he uses the angels. He uses St. Michael in today's Old Testament lesson, also the epistle reading, to cast the devil out of heaven. And that itself is a complicated thing. So when, so the picture in today's epistle reading, from, and those of you who are coming to late service, you obviously have no idea what I'm talking about, but the reading from Revelation, I believe it's 12. Revelation 12. The word that rose in heaven, Michael and his angels were fighting against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So a picture on the bulletin cover and the classic picture of St. Michael is this, like an angel with a big spear driving it through the head of this like serpent, some, some kind of dragon or a, or a snake. I think it's that same image is in our bulletin a couple times, at least uh, this week. So we get this destruction of Satan. And yet we also talk about Jesus, or Jesus, that we talk about Satan as a clear and present danger that continues to plague us. So we have this one, at the one hand, we have the devil is conquered by the blood of Jesus. He's been thrown out of heaven. And yet we are daily assaulted by the devil. So he's conquered and yet not completely vanquished, but he's roaming. So the, when you think about how to work this out in your mind, you gotta remember when I guess I'll put it to you as a question. When was the devil cast out of heaven? So as the text says, that the how question, how was the devil overcome? So the text says, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony of the, the, really the martyrs, the witnesses, which meant there would have been martyrs to have actually seen something and die before the devil was cast out of heaven chronologically. But also it would, make, it, would, it, would, it would seem that Jesus had to actually die on the cross before the devil could get thrown out of heaven. And yet in today's gospel reading, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But Jesus hasn't died yet. You see the problem? Hopefully I'm creating for you a problem if you, if you hadn't realized it already trying to reconcile things that are happening in the spiritual realm with our, with our physical chronological experience is impossible. It's an impossibility. Jesus is referred to in, in, I believe it's the book of Hebrews as the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the earth. 
wait a second, I thought it was in approximately 33 AD that the lamb was slain. So how was he slain? If he was slain before the foundation of the earth, it would also mean that he was slain before the fall into sin. See the, the, the time problem? So to kind of, the, 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 the image that C.S. Lewis, I think is a helpful one that he gives is one of seeing our experience in time in this world, the, the chronological experience as one in which uh, it's like a parade. It has a beginning of the parade, uh, which is usually a drum line from like Nequa Valley High School or something. And then the end of the parade, which is obviously always Santa Claus, right? But in any case, you get the parade. And if you're in the parade, all you can kind of see is, you, you know, you can kind of see what's in front of you a little bit. And you can see it seems to go on a ways. And it seems to go on a ways behind you. And if you're standing outside the, the actual parade itself, you can look at the parade, but it's just kind of passing by you. But if you are in a hot air balloon, first of all, you're crazy because that seems like a really dangerous thing to do. But also, you'd be looking down and you can see simultaneously all of time. You're not in the parade, you're standing outside of the parade and are seeing the full parade. So when Jesus, who is fully God, is, is crucified in time as a man, he's also fully God. So what is done in time is also happening outside of time in the spiritual realm. So we're able to talk about stuff that's happening in heaven. It doesn't, it doesn't really click into our chronology always. So Satan being thrown out of heaven before the fall. I mean, we talk, I mean, Satan had to have fallen also before he, what? Before he caused the fall into sin through Adam and Eve. So he was already thrown out of heaven. That's, I mean, think about that. So he was thrown out of heaven by the blood of the lamb uh, but he, was, he hadn't even caused the fall into sin in the Garden of Eden yet. See? So we have these two pictures happening. The, the, our temporal, chronological, physical existence and what's happening in the divine level. So that, that just a, makes it a challenge to even think about angels and how they're functioning. And also their primary task being, I mean, today was St. Michael specifically throwing the devil out of heaven. Where is heaven? Annabelle asked me this question last week. Dad, where is heaven? Because she, I think she saw like a, she's at second grade, you start, I think you start grasping the actual, the planet idea and that there's more planets and trying to, it's a multidimensional picture in your head. So you're like, okay, outside of our earth is a, there's other planets and there's space. So we can look in the space and there's not like grandma floating around by Mars, right? So where is, where is the concrete heaven, right? So that, that's a, that makes it super complicated for us. So I think it's helpful to, to, as we try to contemplate the spiritual realm, the picture is one that in the Old Testament, it gives it as a, as a throne room. Uh, where is this throne room? Well, it's in the spiritual realm. You can't picture it. It's not... It's like the North Pole. You can try to find it, you're not gonna find it. Uh, but in this, in this throne room, you have God who stands there and the devil is in the throne room bringing his accusations against you and me. So this is the beginning of Job. 
Remember the Job, Job, uh, the devil comes up to God in his throne room, and he brings an accusation about Job that what? He's only a believer because he's loaded. He's loaded and he's healthy. Take all that away, and then he'll turn on you, God. He took all of it away, and so God allows the devil to do it. Uh, but then he still doesn't break. And so the devil says, well, of course he's going to still love you because his body is fine. He's physically okay. So God allows the devil to do physical harm to Job. And hopefully his, his hope is that by taking away his stuff and by hurting his body, he will turn Job on God. And that continues to be an assault of the devil against us in our experience now. But even back in Job, remember at the beginning of Job, the devil's already been cast out of heaven before the fall into sin in Genesis 1. The devil is thrown down. And yet, he's still in. He's allowed to be in that heavenly courtroom. Because again, we're trying to think chronologically about this. But all we know is, according to like Job and others, the devil, Satan the accuser, he stands in the heavenly throne room bringing his accusation of sin against us. So Jesus stands there also as our advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, an advocate. So he's standing, he's pleading on our behalf as the, great, the greatest lawyer ever, who not only is saying, you know what, the devil's accusations about sin are right. These guys are sinners. You are a sinner. But all of that sin has been taken off of them and put on me. So it's the, it's the lawyer who's not only trying to make a case for you, but then also standing in front of the judge and taking the, taking the crime and the punishment upon himself on our behalf. So it's, but that conversation continues to go. And every time sins are forgiven, every time the gospel is proclaimed, in that heavenly throne room, the devil is cast down. So in that way, it's more, it's more of an ongoing the devil bringing his accusation and being cast out. The devil bringing his accusation, bringing his deception, bringing his despair and being cast out. So this morning in the divine service, the devil was cast out from your conscience. And that's that, that's that heavenly throne room. And it, I'm trying, I was trying to think this through um, this morning. I don't know if the image carries. You ever see um, back in the 90s, um, Men in Black? Um, so there's one of the characters, what the alien who like has the special necklace that whatever, if, but there's a scene where the guy's face like comes off and he's like, cause he turns out he was, he's an artificial human being and inside of his head is a tiny cute little alien who's steering this thing. So like inside of, so inside of us, you can imagine that there's, there's like this, there's like battle going on in our conscience where within us, we've got. We've got the, the devil bringing his accusations to us, trying to make a case that we are unworthy of salvation and that God doesn't love us and he's against us. Simultaneously, the angels are there bringing the promises of God, reminding us of the gospel, reminding us of our baptism, bringing the cross into the devil's face, which casts the devil out. And it's an ongoing conversation. So as you lie in bed at night, Anxious, or, or when the hour of death comes. I mean, we, if you've known someone who's, as, they, as we near death, um, we become increasingly aware of our mortality, obviously, as we get older. But as death comes, we're also aware of our, the cause of our death, specifically, sin. 
So the more aware I am of my sin, the more afraid I am of what's going to happen to me after I die. And the devil comes up and makes it even worse. You should be afraid. In fact, if you really believed, I get this, if you really believed, you wouldn't be afraid. So the fact that you're afraid is itself evidence of your unbelief. And where do unbelievers go? Hell. How is that thought in your deathbed going to do for you? So that's when the angels come around. So uh, we can rightly speak of one another. I mean, you, you hear, you, you're, you're such an angel for doing this great thing. And that, you're right about that. If you're bringing the, a word of gospel to someone who is in despair, it is the angels at work. Uh, work through God's word in, that, in the conscience of that individual you're talking to. Whenever you lay in bed at night anxious about something that's bothering you and you're reminding yourself, well, hold on a second. I know that I belong to God and that he loves me in Jesus and that the worst thing that can possibly happen to me is death. And even when that comes, I'm gonna be okay. And just kind of going through that exercise as a reminder, that the, that's the angel, that's the battle. It is not... And I don't want to overstate this. Maybe I can't say that it's not because I can't see the angels any more than you can. Um, I used to limit the the working of the angels to some kind of physical thing. Because when when we think spiritual, we think invisible. But that's not the same thing, right? So invisible means here, just not seen. But the angels are something different. They're spiritual, which means they're not just invisible, but, they're, but I used to think that they were just invisible around me. And there were angels, so there's angels around me here with their swords and their wings. And then beyond them is an army of demons who are trying to like hurt me, cause me to trip and fall and, and get hurt physically. Um, but so the angels are, so when you, when, you, when you stop at a red light and you're gonna run it, but you, ah, you're, you, you thought you might have seen a cop, so you stopped. And at that moment, an 18-wheeler blows through and would have totally killed you. And you think, whoa, the, the angels are really, what? <laughs> Working overtime or protecting me. Problem is, what? What's the logical conclusion there? What do you say about the angels when you, Karen Ferici falls in the kitchen? At church. I was talking to, 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 I bring it up only because I was talking to Karen and Mario about it when I was thinking through this sermon, visiting her in the hospital last week. It's like, if the angels are simply there to protect us physically, then what do we do when we get hurt physically? So were, were the angels, did they lose? Are they less powerful sometimes? Did my angels take a coffee break? Like what happened when you get, when you actually do have a car wreck? And ultimately there will come the day that we do die. So on that day, did the angels lose? And if the angels were really working hard, you'd never die? So that whole, that whole logic kind of breaks down. So we can't limit the work of the angels to simply physical stuff because we know God works through our physical suffering to bring about good, right? How do you make, a, uh, if you're trying to make stronger muscles, you have to, they, they get sore, they get torn, and then they rebuild and they're stronger than they were before, right? So through suffering comes strength. 
Um, so God, we certainly know, and God's promised to work good through even evil things, despite the devil's evil intent, even in, especially in today's um, study, if we're gonna get to it, <laughs> is uh, Judas had this, the devil enters Judas, and Judas has a plan, and the chief priests and the scribes have a plan. They're rejoicing in the death of Jesus. And God says, great plan. He takes the plan, the evil plan, the clearly evil plan of the devil, and what does he do? He uses it to bring about salvation of the world. So that which we see as the worst of evils, God, like physical harm, God can work it for good. So we want to think, we expand our working of the angels from simply protecting us physically to protecting us from, well, to, to stick with the physical example, when I get hurt or when I get cancer or when I, whatever, the suffering might be, or my loved one gets sick or hurt or whatever, when that pain inevitably comes, that I wouldn't see that as evidence of God's absence or the absence of his love for me. Because that's where despair is, right? So it's in our time of suffering for me to think that I'm alone and that God doesn't love me. That's, that's the message of the devil. Remember, the devil is just a fallen angel. So the, the angels and the demons, they're still angels which means they're still, they're still mailmen. They're God's messengers. They're just delivering different kind of message, right? So the message they're bringing is that God doesn't love you. And in contrast to that, the angels are bringing the, the real mail, right? You gotta sift through the mail. <laughs> um, maybe that's enough on, on, I know it's complicated to think through that, but it's, it's nice to go through it and be mindful. So we, like when we pray Luther's morning and evening prayer that, they, that your holy angel would be with me. We, there's a, the, the proof text for, um, for guardian angels is actually, so today we went with um, Luke, the Luke uh, gospel, but it, the St. Michael and Angels comes up every year and there's two gospel readings that deal directly with um, angels or the, the, the casting of the devil from heaven. So they both fit on St. Michael. Usually, like the proper text is Matthew 18, where Jesus talks about how um, the little ones, like uh, um, he woe to those who would cause one of these little ones to sin. It'd be better for them if a millstone was tied around their neck and they're thrown into the sea. Um, for, their, for their angels see the face of God in heaven. Their angels. So, we didn't, we didn't go with that text this year because if you recall, we had Matthew 18 like two weeks ago in church. It would be the exact same reading. Maybe you wouldn't have noticed, but um, we don't want you to get bored or something. Um, but there is, there is in some sense angels that are assigned to us and not just children because unless you become like a child, you won't what? Enter into heaven. So to have this faith of a child, to be like a child, is all of us in the faith. And it's the children of God who are given this angel. So it seems like we have at least one. And what's he doing? Ah, it's hard, to, it's hard to think that through. And we're often forgetting about it, but I know that he's bringing his messages about Jesus to me. Why doesn't God just, like I mentioned at the start of this, he doesn't need angels. He could just use his divine power. Well, he chooses to work through means in the spiritual realm, just as he does in the physical realm. Why? I don't know. You can ask him when you get to heaven, right? Uh, and that's when the, and, and by the way, the angels get to take us there. They're a, they're a, 
<laughs> they're a mailman and an Uber. So, <laughs> so that's a great way to make money. You can, you get money for driving place to play. You know. So on the last day, so the picture is from Lazarus, the rich man and Lazarus and Luke, uh, forget the text now. You think we'd know it, but it's probably been two years since we talked about it in Luke. Um, when the rich man and Lazarus, they die, remember? And the rich man goes to Hades, hell, and Lazarus is, is ushered by the angels into heaven. That's why, it's that snippet. We're able to sing in hymn 708, Lord, thee I love with all my heart, that, that when I die, the angels will bear me home, right? To Abram's bosom, bear me home, take me home, that I may die in fear. So that's the angel's thing. So what we can't see when the, when the body and soul are separated at death, what we call death, the body is still important. I'll bring that up to you again now. Don't, tell to, don't say to me, it's, that's not mom. That's just the shell. That's wrong. God created mom, body, and soul. So her soul is just in heaven right now. As Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. So we have the body waiting for the resurrection on the last day. So the, the, the soul that's in, in heaven with Jesus will come back to this body. And this body, with all of its imperfections, will be raised and perfected. Right? Uh, blessed day. So, the, so what's happening before us in that hospital room as your loved one breathes their last, the angels are there bringing the soul of our beloved ones into the heavenly throne room. And we know we're gonna see them again. And then we treat the body reverently. In the meantime, we put the body in the ground like a seed to wait and it'll grow again, it'll come out, right? With the, on the last day. But again, it's difficult to, to wrap our minds around the, the spiritual realm. Any, any other questions on how, many much time, how much more time can I kill before I get into Luke? Yes? So, two questions, though. Was not always perfect? Good. So, I. Because of my limited attention span, I'm going to take the first one first, and you can remind me of the second one. <laughs> In fact, I already forgot the first one. What was the first one? What did you ask? What was the first question? Was heaven not? Was heaven not? So, so this is interesting, too. We think about heaven as eternal. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the problem is the same Hebrew word for sky is the same word for heaven which is also part of why we think heaven is in the sky. And we often think heaven is up primarily because every time Jesus, show, God shows up in the New Testament, especially, he's a voice from the clouds. Jesus ascended up, right? It's not like he just kept going, like he showed up on like a sonar airplane thing one day, you know what I mean? So there, there's this sense that God created. No, but the problem is, so where was God? Well, he's, he was there. There was just nothing had been created yet. Unless it means heaven would be this, the, whatever the spiritual realm is that, it, that existed prior to God speaking sky and earth into being. And if that's what heaven meant in Genesis, in Genesis 1, was heaven always perfect? Yes. 
because the angels, they're not, there's, there's nothing. The Hebrew is uh, tohu vabohu. It's a fun Hebrew phrase. Void and bare. There's nothing except for God, which means there are no angels. In fact, you can go back and read the, the old, like, I mean, the Lutheran, the Lutheran dogmaticians are extremely boring, but, but helpful because they just go through and like, okay, based on this, 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 and this verse, we can conclude this, 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 and this about the angels. So it's, it seems to be clear that the angels themselves were created. And interestingly enough, they weren't created last. We were created last because we know after, after man and woman were created, God what? Rested. And, that's the, and it was complete. It was very good. Done. So sometime between day one and day six, the angels were created. Now, did, when did the fall happen of the, of the devil? Did it happen sometime in that, same, in that same sixth day? Like it happened pretty quick? Like the angels were created, immediate rebellion? I don't know. It's impossible for us to contemplate this thing in the spiritual realm, in our physical. That's an interesting thing too. Six days is a, is, a, is a physical measuring of time. But the angels are created in the spiritual realm. Where do they stand outside of time? That's a good, that's a good question. It's interesting to ponder some of these things. That we're, we're, limited, we're, we're just limited with what we can say definitively. Uh, but so, so heaven in the sense that God is eternal... And wherever God is, is the kingdom of God. So I think you could maybe say that heaven in that sense, as wherever God is, was eternally perfect. And then at some point, whenever the, whenever the devil fell into sin, we have this, imp- or, uh, rebelled, we have this imperfection. Now that gets to your second question. Like, it, seem, it would seem like sin entered at the fall of the devil, not the fall of Adam and Eve. So at the point of the fall of the devil, why was there not, um, why, did, like, why isn't Jesus trying to also convert the devil and his demons? Like, is there a chance for the devil to be converted, the demons to be converted? Well, we can make all of our logical deductions and, and, and try to hold our view of what God should be doing. If God was really loving, he would give the devil a sporting chance. And well, we don't, all we have is what the scriptures say, and that is no. They were created in the six days of creation, uh, God is uh, nesting like a new mama, like a pregnant mama, and getting everything in place so that when Adam and Eve are created, it's all going to be just right. And that included taking care of the physical realm, but also the spiritual realm. So the angels are actually they're serving God by serving the humanity. So he had everything ready to go. And then with the fall into sin, or the, the fall away from God in the heavenly realm, it's not talked about as, it's not talked about as sin, because it seems like just in the same way that my dog is, maybe that's a helpful way, uh, my dog is infected by sin, because what? What's going to happen to my dog? It's going to die. But that's not to call my dog a sinner. Jesus didn't die for my dog, Unfortunately. Right, so we we don't we we think about sin, particularly when it comes to the human experience and our trespassing against the order of God. So maybe that's helpful. I, I hate to compare angels to dogs, but in the sense that they're both, we're using different terminology when we talk about them doing wrong and suffering the impacts of sin and even transgressing God. Dogs are selfish, are they not? 
Have you seen two dogs trying to eat side by side and going after each other's stuff? So that, we don't call that sin. Great, great questions. Anything else? Good. I guess I got to get it in my hand up. All right, we'll start. This is great because you know what? I want to talk about the, I want to give a lot of time to the Lord's Supper anyway. And that's on the back of your handout. Because um, I think that's going to be a, a, um, a much longer conversation. But, um, and so I got, I got a chance to get Bill Clinton on a handout and that's fun. But on the first, let's, let's jump into Luke 22, verse one and two. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. This is weird. Passover and unleavened bread are actually two different feasts, but they happen like always in tandem. So it's like the, uh, so there's like a day of unleavened bread is like day one. It's like the 15th of Nisan or something. And then it, it, the feast goes on for like X number of days. So there's, a, there's the entire feast, but then there's also the first day. And that's why, for example, when you, when you read some of the different gospel authors, you can, like some atheists have made the accusation that the gospels are, can't be trusted because it talks about the death of Jesus happening. Some say it's on this day related to the Passover, and some, day, some say it's this many days after the Passover. It's, it's not pointing out a discrepancy in the gospels. It's simply, the, the problem is there's a challenge because the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread refer to both a day and a feast. So too, we have Christmas Day and the Christmas, the 12 days of Christmas, Christmas season, right? Um, but the context here, this is very, very helpful. The feast drew near of the Passover. So we can spend a little time talking about the, um, the Passover itself. But I think we're gonna, maybe we'll hold off that. For, so remember, the, so we're in the context of the Passover here. We'll unfold more of that significance when they start setting up for the Passover. And the chief priests, so those, the chief priests are like the top representatives of the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection. Remember, Jesus had just ticked them off like in two chapters ago. And the scribes who are, who are like big movers and shakers among the Pharisees. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees were always fighting. And now they're allying, they formed an alliance against Jesus. Even though they have very different views, especially regarding eternity, they're going after Jesus together. So I see Jesus brings everybody together, even the bad guys. They're seeking how to put him to death for they feared the people. A helpful word there is how. Because notice it doesn't say that they were seeking to put him to death. They're seeking how to put him to death assumes they've already, they've already decided they're gonna kill him. So it wasn't that they were like heeing and hawing on, should we do this? Is it worth it? They were like, they've decided we got to kill this guy. And we knew that to be true after the raising of Lazarus from, um, I think it's in John's gospel. Remember when, so the, uh, the raising of Lazarus happens right before, right before they come into um, Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, which is part of the thing that causes the big stir about Jesus. He rose the dead, word gets back to Jerusalem. And that's why they're all like waving the palm branches and there's a giant celebration because he just rose a dead guy, not even like five miles, not even three miles away from the front gates of Jerusalem. So it was a big deal. Um, and they said at that moment, they, we got to kill this guy. Better for one guy to die than for everybody to rebel against 
against Rome or something. So here God uses the, um, oh, one more. So they, they, they had already decided to put him to, to death for they feared the people. So this is why they seek, they seek to kill Jesus, not in the, if, if you remember how chapter 21 ended, every day he was going to the temple and teaching there. They knew where to find him. And that night he was going to Garden of Gethsemane on the, on the Mount of Olives to sleep. That's why they, when Judas makes a decision to betray Jesus here, they don't go get him at the temple. This is why they take him at night because they're worried there's gonna be this uprising. There's gonna be this big fight between all of the followers of Jesus, which at this point he just raised Lazarus. So now if, think about it, if you're walking with Jesus, you're like, okay, I saw him raise a dead guy. So I know if I go fighting this guy over here, he can raise me up too. And so there's gonna be a fighting between, among the Jews and the Romans are very, very, very tense about this issue because, and I think the, chosen, the, show, the TV show The Chosen does a pretty good job of showing the, the angst that Pontius Pilate was feeling, as, long, um, as well as Herod, because they're getting pressure from the higher ups to get, get Jerusalem under control because there's all this infighting that's taking place. And the Romans aren't very forgiving people. So when, when your supervisor has to come and just say, you know, give you a performance review, they, they just take off your head. Or they crucify you, which is even worse, <laughs> right? So, so they're, like, they're motivated to keep this thing quiet. And the way that they would do it would be by force, as they're going to do in 70 AD when they ultimately just wipe out Jerusalem. And so the chief priests and the scribes are thinking, if we cause a, a ruckus in public... All that's going to happen is the Romans are going to storm in with their spears and just mow everybody down. So let's not do that. We want them to mow down just Jesus. So let's get him at night and we'll find a way to get him killed. So that's the being driven by the fear, being driven by the fear of people. And that, we're, we're the same way. Like when we, are, when we are driven by fear and fear of people, it leads us to do bad stuff, right? Uh, Judas also... I mean, Judas is, he cares about what other people think. That's why he goes at night as well. Any questions there on the initial plot here? Now the, the, the Passover, we only got four minutes. So I think the G, Judas to betray Jesus will read it. Um, Satan enters into Judas called Iscariot to differentiate him from the other Judas. So we have Satan means accuser, the, the deceiver, the one who's thrown out of heaven in today's epistle reading. The last time, do you remember the last time that we had seen Satan like in the, actually in his like visible state or he's, he's called Satan and active in the gospel of Luke? Do you remember when that was? The temptation. And at the end of the temptation, what happens? To, where does the devil go? It says he went away until an opportune time. And so here we have an, an opportune time, right? So here it is. Satan enters into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the 12, and he went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray Jesus to them. Pause there. So Satan entering into Judas might, we were getting to a whole conversation on Judas. Is Judas responsible for his sin then? Yeah, this is a hard thing. So Satan also, in a way, 
enters into each of us whenever there is sin. This is what temptation is. It's the, wouldn't this fruit be nice? God is holding out on you. He doesn't know what's best for you. He doesn't really love you. Things will go better for you if you'll just have this. Uh, your wife doesn't love you. This lady knows you more, loves you more. Um, they're not gonna notice. It's just a few dollars here and there, right? No one's gonna find out about it because well, on and on it goes. And so the, the allure of the devil and the temptation of being things are gonna be better for you and it's gonna all be okay in this fruit. And as soon as the sin occurs, we have a fall into sin for, 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 eternity, for all of humanity with Eve and Adam, but then in our individual sins, it functions the same way. Like to, to, to talk about, let's say, uh, marital affairs that way, the, the, how the devil brings the temptation, but once, once, the, once lust is given into in that way, it completely destroys the marriage. And there's really not a good, I mean, you can, for, you can bring forgiveness. You can give forgiveness and try to bring healing, but that's always this sore spot. It's always gonna be there. And if you're lucky, you can get forgiveness and try, try to move on, but it's like very hard to repair any of that damage. But the devil is promising it's gonna be okay. No one's gonna find out. She doesn't really love you. This other lady loves you more. It's gonna be a great life. And as soon as the sin is entered into, everything falls apart, right? So there's the temptation of, the, that's the devil bringing his temptation, that same conversation about the fruit in our conscience, having us look at what is evil and calling it good, causing a blur between when we look at our lives and trying to self-justify evil things as being good ideas. And then after we fall into those bad ideas, the devil comes along as he, he flips over from deceiver to accuser and then accuses us for our sin and how God doesn't love us and we're going straight to hell and all this stuff. So, uh, so in that way, we can see that Judas, like us, while the devil is involved, um, ultimately, we are, we are ultimately responsible. Really creepy pictures. If you Google, I just, spoiler alert, I just Google the, the kind of picture I wanna have and then paste it on here. So I Google like devil entering into Judas and there's some creepy stuff. And the ch church history portrays it in a variety of ways. This is probably the most, I think that's pretty cool the way Judas is kind of looking right at us. Because in that way, you could say we're looking into a mirror in our own sin. And he's kind of sitting there like, you can see the kind of evil intentions in his eyes and the devil's encouraging him. It's gonna be better if you just, it's a creepy picture. Was there a hand over here earlier? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, so that's, that's an interesting thing too. Like I keep referencing the chosen, but it's so like, my generation is a very visual generation. So you watch a show and it helps kind of like picture things. When Jesus first meets Judas in the, in the TV show, The Chosen, it's, it's kind of cool because we know it's gonna happen. That's like, what's that called? Third person omniscient, where we know we're out, outside the story looking in. But Jesus is first person omniscient. He's, he's actually, he knows also what's gonna be happening. So you can kind of see it in Jesus' face. Does Jesus know is a complicated question because he's, um, he's God. And so far as he's God, he's omniscient. And we know that he knew because he looks at, Jesus, he looks at Judas at the, at the Last Supper and he says, do what you gotta do. So it's like he's known all along, 
But maybe, I mean, who knows if it was revealed to him at a separate time or something. Why did Jesus allow Judas to walk with him? There's all these kind of questions could come up. Why, did, why, did Je- why didn't Jesus like, shove Judas out of the pack early on? Well, then we wouldn't have had a cru- crucifixion. So it needed to happen. It just wasn't very pleasant. And Judas, Jesus had been talking about him, his own betrayal for a long time now. He, remember he would say, the son of man must be betrayed, handed over to the chief priests and scribes, be killed on a third day rise. That's Matthew 16 when Jesus is talking to Peter. And Peter says, no, let it not be, Lord. Remember, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Like so Satan had entered into Peter and corrupted his view of what the gospel would be in the, in the, in the way that Jesus would be a savior. That's a, think about that. Is that, that helpful? Did I get to your... Any other thoughts on, on Judas? And um, just kind of the start, we'll, we'll, we'll pick up there. Any, any, no more? So we'll pick up there with, with verse three next week and get through the, uh, Judas's betrayal into the preparation of the Passover and then the institution of the Lord's Supper, which is gonna hopefully, if we get there, um, give us opportunity to talk about different views of the Lord's Supper and Christian practice today. I mean, there's, just, there's a lot going on in the Lord's Supper we, we'll be able to talk about. So the Lord be with you.